This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, and even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. AI is making waves in every field it touches. President Biden is now on TikTok and the election draws closer each day. With so much going on in the world, it is hard to keep up with it all, let me tell you. Hi, I'm Kai Rizdal, the co-host of Make Me Smart. It's a podcast from Marketplace. And every weekday, Kimberly Adams and I break down the latest in business and the economy with short daily episodes to make it easy for you to stay in the know. Listen to Make Me Smart wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Little Gold Men, the award season podcast from Vanity Fair and Panoply. I'm Katie Rich, the deputy editor of VanityFair.com. And in studio, we have our digital director, Mike Hogan. Hey, guys. And in Oakland, we have our senior writer, Joanna Robinson. Hello. And we have lost Richard Lawson. He's now a mole person living in the New York City subways because uh, <laughs> you cannot take mass transit in New York City anymore. He's just walking uh, somewhere between uh, Atlantic <laughs> and Pacific Avenues, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> we will miss Richard dearly. Hopefully he can uh, resurface by next week. Um, but we will have uh, Richard's presence on this episode. We're going to be sharing the interview he did with Stephen Yun. Am I pronouncing his name right, Joanna? I take you as the expert. I, I believe so. Stephen Yun is the star of The Walking Dead as well as the new film Okja, which is premiering on Netflix, which is very exciting for those of us who uh, don't get to screenings as often as we like. Uh, so we'll talk a little bit about, about that movie later on. Uh, but I wanted to start off by talking about something that Richard and Joanna worked on together. Uh, it's the halfway point of the year, so it's kind of a nice time to look back on the culture we've experienced so far. And uh, Joanna, you guys have published a list of the best TV and movies of the year so far. Uh, there's, you know, there's a lot of things on there that we've talked a lot about here that you might expect. We got Big Little Lies and Feud, and for movies, there's like Get Out, and Richard talked a lot about Personal Shopper. Um, I mean, so Joanna, how hard was it you for you when you put together the TV side of things uh, to really narrow down on what you liked, or was it kind of obvious that there's been five good things? No, it was ridiculous because. Uh, you know, 10 seems like a very reasonable number. We're only halfway through the year, but I had the hardest time getting it down to just 10. And that's just because, you know, Richard suggested maybe you should just do just new shows that have premiered because there's just so much that has happened since January on television this year. But yeah, we, we, we knocked it down to a, to a reasonable, chunk and yeah some of your usual suspects are on there but i also tried to put on some uh expansive <laughs> choices as well can we just so. read can you just read us the list so for the listeners at yeah home? i mean so we have as katie mentioned some things you would expect expect like master of none big little lies handmaid's tale the magicians um, no, magicians you would not. I was expect, about to say probably. magicians I did not see coming. <laughs> uh, leftovers, uh, Legion, Feud, One Day at a Time, and the Twin Peaks Revival. Granted, we're only halfway through that. That could go off the rails, but I'm enjoying the craziness of the Twin Peaks Revival so much. So that is my list. Magicians had its, it, this is a sci fi show, and I. Sci fi is it on the sci fi network? 
on the on the SYFY network. And, you know, I, I don't want to knock any particular network, but I did not expect to have a sci-fi network show on this list. But um, The Magicians, which is based on a series of popular books by Lev Grossman, uh, had an okay first season and I think a tremendous second season um, with like a musical episode and just the comedy beats heading on every, every level. And their CGI and their budget and their creation of their fantasy world is incredible. So I actually just adored the magician season two and we you know i wanted to make sure that there were a couple comedies on here and not just master of none which is probably a comedy in name only really and so i picked one day at a time which is this great you know netflix i think we did talk about this on the show but this netflix reboot of a classic Norman Lear sitcom and, and it's sort of given a a different spin we're we're with a you know a family that is second generation immigrant. And it was just an incredible I I am as tired as anyone else of reboot culture, despite the fact that I also have Twin Peaks on here. But One Day at a Time was just a really lovely throwback that didn't feel stale, somehow felt really fresh. So, you know, those are those are some of my thoughts. Yeah, Richard wrote, um, Richard wrote about The Ranch uh, last week, which is not on your best TV of the year list. It um, is not. <laughs> but uh, Richard has this affection. It's a, uh, you know, it's a multi-camera Netflix sitcom, so it's kind of like old-fashioned compared to what we think of on Netflix. And One Day at a Time is the same thing, and he mentioned this in the piece, that they kind of are these throwbacks uh, that he finds very appealing. And it's kind of neat that Netflix is kind of known for breaking ground with things like Master of None, but is also kind of refining the very classic sitcom format. Well, did you guys, are you guys too young to have spent like four billion hours of your life watching the original one day at a time because you were bored and the TV was babysitting you? Because that (laughs) theme song is burned so deep into my brain that I'm now actually in pain right now since you brought it up. (laughs) (laughs) I am just too young. Like, I definitely spent four billion hours watching other sitcoms because the TV was babysitting me, but not one day at a time. Have you heard the updated theme song that Gloria Stefan did for the new show? I actually have not. Is uh, Is it the same general tune? It's it's the same tune. Yeah. It's just got like a a nice a like kick. Cuban beat to yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, I'd like to hear it. I guess I think. Um, um, and I think you, I I think you would enjoy the show too. I mean, it it is a hard throwback, but there's something about it, you know. And um, Rita Moreno plays the grandmother of of the family, which is not a character that was in the original. I think, and um, she's just. She's fabulous. Everything she does is just fabulous. So it's a, it's a fantastic, surprisingly amazing, fantastic. Any show. Mackenzie Phillips or Valerie Bertinelli um, uh, cameos we should know about? Valerie Bertinelli, by the way, early early crush. I learned a lot. Mm. Just you know, super babysitted s- by that TV. <laughs> <laughs> super cute. Uh, Mackenzie Phillips did do uh, at least a one season cameo, a one episode cameo. I think they're holding back the Valerie Bertinelli for there season you go. two. That's so, good. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and there's some kind of genuine uh, Emmy hopes for Rita Moreno, I think. Like, she, you know, she's obviously a legend, so it, it seems like she could very well get in there. Yeah, I think the comedy field is a little bit more open, and so, um, yeah, and, and the, she's an Oscar winner, so, you know, she, why not? She's an EGOT winner, isn't she? Is she? Wow. Go Rita. Oh, yeah. I'm Bobby Finger. And I'm Lindsay Weber. Do you ever see a new face or name on your news feeds and say, who the heck is that? Our podcast, Who Weekly, is everything you need to know about the celebrities you don't. Think of us as your cheat code to People Magazine, your glossary for Hollywood, a shortcut to understanding pop culture at large. 
For the past eight years, Who Weekly has been telling listeners everything they need to know about the celebrities they don't. The New Yorker says we spelunk deep into the demimonde with convivial delight. That's a direct quote. Mostly, we're going to explain to you Irish star Barry Keoghan's sudden rise to fame and relationship with a not-so-under-the-radar pop princess named Sabrina. The fake wedding Real Housewives star Cynthia Bailey had to promote a limo rental company. And why all the Gen Zers you know are talking about a guy named Benson Boone. Each episode goes deep into the biggest celebrity stories of the moment. And if you're still confused, we even have a weekly call-in episode where we answer the most burning celebrity queries. Who Weekly airs twice weekly with brand new episodes on Tuesdays and Fridays. Listen and follow Who Weekly, an Odyssey podcast, available now for free on the Odyssey app and wherever you get your podcasts. This message comes from Apple Card. Earn up to 3% daily cash back on every purchase, every day. Then, grow it at 4.50% annual percentage yield when you open a savings account with Apple Card. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card subject to credit approval. Savings available to Apple Card owners subject to eligibility. Savings accounts provided by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, member FDIC. Terms apply. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. How is your social battery right now? What's the right amount of socializing for you? And how do you recharge? Maybe you thrive around people, or maybe you need more alone time. Therapy can give you the self-awareness to build a social life that doesn't drain your battery. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. Find your social sweet spot with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash littlegoldmen today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash little gold men. So now we can talk about the film half of this list because Richard, you have emerged from the subways to join us. Uh, I'm so glad that you survived your commute. I very smugly had been, you know, reading all this stuff about the subways breaking down lately and been like, well, it hasn't affected me. And today it absolutely You're did. You're like those so. uh, Republicans who like weren't affected by health care and then suddenly they were and they're like, oh, people need health care. <laughs> that's, ex- that's exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, Richard, uh, go ahead and just read us your list of the best films of the year so far. We've talked about Joanna's TV half of it. So these are in no order except, I guess, re- release dates. So earliest to latest. I have a Get Out on the list, which we've talked about on this podcast, a wonderful social horror movie um, that I think, uh, you know, has also been a big box office hit, which is exciting. Logan, the, I guess, finale of the Wolverine franchise. But, you know, you never know with with uh, these kind of movies. But that, you know, that kind of surprised me because I'm not really a big superhero movie guy. But that one is a very different kind of superhero movie. So I think that's really interesting. And, you know, and Joanna, you were a fan of that, too, right? Oh, I love Logan. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That, you know, uh, I probably won't end up on my top 10 of the year list. But for now, it's it's pretty good. Personal Shopper, which I've been raving about since 2016, I think when I first saw the movie at Cannes. So uh, that's the Kristen Stewart starring Olivia Isaias movie about ghosts and all kinds of <laughs> strange things that will definitely be on my top 10 of the year list. I would be shocked if it wasn't there. But you know, it actually I think it did, did kind of well in the art house this spring. So that's that's good for that movie. And then probably my most surprising, or the one that surprised me the most, and probably wouldn't have gone gotten in there be- if um, we'd if I'd wanted to include movies that are coming out like in the middle of July, like War for the Planet of the Apes, which is great, is Life, the alien horror movie with Jake Gyllenhaal and Rebecca Ferguson and a couple other uh, Ryan Reynolds. Yeah, that um, one definitely surprised me. Yeah, you know, I was looking back at movies that had come out, and I was like just looking for a number ten, and I was <laughs> like, oh, I think that's kind of it because. <laughs> 
it's good. It's a, it's an effective, well-made little kind of B horror movie. And compared to the much higher profile alien body horror movie uh, that came out a little later, Alien Covenant, um, <laughs> it's much better. So, yeah. Yeah. you know, there's, there's room for some sort of, you know, B sci-fi on a, on a best so far of the year list, I think. Yeah. In June, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and also sci-fi was Colossal, the Anne Hathaway, you know, mm-hmm. mind meld with a monster movie that also is about Gamergate and toxic masculinity and all that stuff, which was a nice surprise when I saw it in Toronto last year. It came out in April of this year. I don't think it did very well, which was kind of a disappointment for, you know, fans of the movie, but also for Neon, which is this new distrib- distributor um, that's kind of, I think trying to be some sort of A twenty four esque. Um, it was. I think, I think this was their first release. It's made about three million dollars, which uh, I don't. Yeah, I don't which know is what not, their hopes for were, but it's pretty low. Even for the art house, that's mm-hmm. the, it, with a big, you know, Oscar winning star that it it, it could have done. And, and Jason Sudeikis. And then, um, oh, so we're talking about monsters destroying Seoul, South Korea, just nearby. Your name and set in Japan. A, a wonderful uh, animated film that came out last year in japan and the rest of the world and finally made it to the u.s this year and was a huge hit overseas like i think one of the highest grossing movies uh, in japan japanese history is kind of teen body swap sci-fi dramedy thing that um have any of you guys seen your name yes yeah and it i mean did it make you cry as much as it made me cry joanna it made me cry for sure yeah i mean it's it's and i can't exactly explain why because it's not, I mean, it's, I don't know. Uh, everyone should see it if they can. I think once you get past the format of anime, which I have very little experience with, and so the fact that it sort of starts with this recap and there's a lot of like, you know, tricks of the trade like parts of this genre that i am not accustomed to but at its core is yeah this like strangely very profound story of body swapped teens falling in love with each other so who knew you know yeah with a nice pop tune that keeps kind of recurring in the the movie it's it's effective i mean it it it, it's if you have a a sort of you know dreamy teen at home you should show it show it to them they'll they'll they'll, they'll be i I mean i like to i kind of am a perpetual dreamy teen so uh, it, it really works uh, well. On I have me. Box, office, box Office Mojo open. This movie has made three hundred and fifty million dollars worldwide. Uh, yeah, it's oh a wild. big hit. Wow. Yeah, for an animated movie, I mean, you know, like you know, the big Pixar stuff that'll do well, but like that's a that's a big chunk of change. Yeah, you know, and and it, and I think it had you know it had its fans here. It, I think that it, it didn't get much of a a, a a fanfare release here, which is kind of telling, you know, considering how big it was elsewhere. But anyway, worth seeing. You can find it online. Next up is Lost City of Z, which we talked to James Gray. Mm-hmm. We had a great chat with him about his that movie back in April. Just a perfectly done epic about exploration and obsession and, and a great performance from Charlie Hunnam, who, you know, had all this goodwill behind him. And then King Arthur came Ooh. out, and I feel like just kind of, he's had a, you know, God giveth and he taketh away. Yeah, so, Richard, uh, since we had that conversation <laughs> with James Gray, I can't remember if I said on the show, I saw Lost City of Z and just adored it. So um, I'm really, really glad we got to, it was a weird way to like have a conversation with a director and then see the movie, but uh, I'm really glad that I did. Yeah. Yeah, and and a kind of quieter Amazon release. I'm I'm still a little bit baffled about, about why it came out in April and they, why they didn't hold it till fall or at some other point where it maybe would get a little more notice and and also be closer to when awards you know are being decided or voted on because I think it it could go toe to toe. I mean, I think it's definitely one of my absolutely. It's going to be one of my favorite movies of the year. So I I think I wish that it had gotten a bit more of a a, a, a platform, I guess. 
another movie that just came out kind of you know i think it did well in in you know um what do they call it? what's the term boutique box office or whatever <laughs> um, specialty uh is beatrice at dinner the salma hayek starring uh movie that, that that premiered at sundance right in the midst of the inauguration and it's a movie that's about this amoral billionaire going toe-to-toe with this sort of lefty new agey masseuse who played by salma hayek um and uh so it, it feels very of the moment it's about like can the side of good and compassion win in a compassionless world uh or against compassionless people uh a fight that we're seeing play out in terms of healthcare right now mm-hmm. and foreign policy and various other things so just a caveat to the listeners who haven't seen this yet it's not hopeful <laughs> it feels like it might be and then it kind of ends and you're like ah oh, shit Zama <laughs> knows too many billionaires to end that movie with a happy ending she's like no 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 this will end horribly right. trust yeah. me i'm married to one who i love but yeah but, uh, <laughs> but we crush ones. everyone in our path okay <laughs> yeah you know so it's uh but this despite the, it's it's kind of ultimate tones of despair it's it's a really beautifully made movie and um and another an, an example of um what mike white as a writer can do you know he created enlightened which is one of the best shows mike ever. white is so Great. So good. And go all the way back to Chuck and Buck. Chuck and Buck. And not only is he this brilliant writer, he's also an amazing race contestant. So he was on oh, with his dad. Oh, that's right. Yeah. With his dad yeah. who like came yeah. out late in life, like a Yeah, like so they're both style. not straight and exactly, exactly. And they did the amazing race together, which is like so bizarre. Uh he's but, also a credited um, anyway, writer Mike on the White. emoji movies, so congratulations, Mike White. Yeah, I just heard that. That's uh well the the movie that's gonna make T J Miller America's jester or whatever well he's gonna make money uh globally oh that's right he's gonna <laughs> yeah. be <laughs> yeah he can insult the movie because uh, he's gonna be yeah. making that money globally was it what yeah was it? Oh, anyway. oh, that, that money <laughs> i do want to um re- i'd love to talk about that interview <laughs> it's quite an interview hi i'm jeremy larson the reviews director of pitchfork and this podcast is supported by pitchfork music festival Pitchfork Music Festival will take place July 19th through the 21st at Union Park in Chicago, Illinois. This year's lineup features Jamie XX, Alanis Morissette, Black Pumas, Carly Rae Jepsen, Brittany Howard, Jay Paul, Muna, Jesse Ware, 100 Gex, and many more. The festival also features diverse vendors as well as specialty record, poster, and craft fairs and works to support local businesses while promoting the Chicago arts and food communities as a whole. For more information on tickets and lineup, visit pitchforkmusicfestival.com. And then just really quickly, the last two are movies that are just coming out this month. Uh, one is The Beguiled, which the Sofia Coppola movie, which she won Best Director for at Cannes, you know, with uh, Al Fanning and uh, Kirsten Dunst and Nicole Kidman and Colin Farrell. Uh, just a really tightly made, weird little kind of thriller. It's been, you know, debated some recently since it came out or right before it came out because of its sort of racial politics and that there are none even though it's set during the Civil War. They just very quickly at the beginning of the movie say the slaves ran away. There is a slave character in the original novel and in the 1971 Clint Eastwood movie and that was excised for this because Coppola said she didn't want to she didn't feel like she had, you know, um, the right to to tell that story, which has caused some debate. And I think that that's that's debate that's worthy. And maybe it was a cop out on her part. That said, as a piece of filmmaking, which is kind of what I argue in this in this this post, is that it's just it's so well done that you know you can't deny it. Yeah, I mean, at least she acknowledged this thing that everybody's trying to get everyone to acknowledge, which is that appropriation is problematic, too. So, you know, yeah. I mean, it's, I feel like we're a long way to having wonderful solutions to these debates. So probably in the meantime, you just got to keep 
hashing it out. Yeah, I mean, there have there has been stuff written about it um, that's worth reading, like that basically arguing like she's kind of damned if she does and damned if she yeah. doesn't. You know? Yeah, I thought um, like Ira Madison the third, I think, is at the Daily Beast now wrote a post. So it's basically like, do you really want Sofia Coppola making a movie about right. a slave's experience in the Civil War? I think she kind of rightly recognized she was not the right person to do that. Well, you know, you know who did a good job, but you have to have a lot of money to do this. Is I think Ryan Murphy with People versus OJ brought in, you know, yeah. a number of black writers and yeah. was just and like, directors, you know, yeah. first of all, and, and directors, like, first of all, let's let's talk this all through, and second of all, like, why don't you take the big, you know, Johnny Cochran episode uh, because mm-hmm. I'm not going to be able to like tell the story right. So, but I mean, when you're making a, a little indie a tourist movie, thing, it's yeah. like, yeah unclear how you would negotiate that yeah so you know and i think that uh it's it's a movie that like despite it it possibly being problematic or whatever like it's definitely worth seeing which is really why i put it on the list because it is again such a a strong piece of filmmaking and but stop stalling because where's wonder woman ah that was gonna be my next question yeah but yeah, <laughs> uh, the, yeah my, the last movie on my list is Okja. How are your mentions? How are your mentions? <laughs> yeah, we'll, uh, yeah, the last uh, movie on the list is Okja, which we'll discuss in a little bit since we're talking to uh, the star of the movie. But yeah, yeah Wonder yeah. Woman. I did not put Wonder Woman on. Um, I, I do have a superhero movie. I, I mean, I just, you know, a woman superhero. I don't really buy it. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, no, it's just um, that movie. I like that movie. I, I think I more appreciate that that movie exists than actually like it as a movie. There's going to be a vulture think piece where they just clip the thing of you saying right. a woman <laughs> superhero and us laughing. <laughs> just looking forward to that. <laughs> oh, the internet. But, you know, I, I think it maybe it would have been 11 or 12 at this point in the year. I think Logan Logan is handily the better comic book film. You know, not that you can only pick one or have to pick one even, but you know, if we're ranking comic book films of the year so far, I think Logan for what it did in terms of departure of genre really earns its spot there. Wonder Woman, I think as we discussed before, is on par with things we've seen before, like Captain America or the first Thor film. And uh and that's fine and that's great and it's really great that we have that starring a woman, but that doesn't mean it elevates the film above you know, just good, you know? Okay, and second question, are there any Oscar winners in your list? That is a good question. Um, I wish that more people had seen Lost to Z because I think that could have been up for a number of things. I mean, it might still be in the technical categories. You know, yeah. cinematography is beautiful. I think The Beguiled could, again, get some technical stuff. But beyond that, you know, I don't really think so. Uh, there has been a lot of speculation about whether Get Out could get a screenplay nomination. Yeah. And potentially, you know, Grand Budapest Hotel came out around the same time and got a Best Picture nomination with this new system where there's yeah. you know, 10. It could sneak in there. I mean, yeah. genre stuff like Mad Max is getting in Get Out, which was a huge hit. Maybe even made more mo- more money than Mad Max domestically anyway. Did could really? could Holy I mean crap. I mean I'm I mean it, it, maybe not more, but it was close to. Get Out feels like the sort of you know, feel good taken in a certain way, right. just as, yeah. in a macro way. Yeah. Like, wow, what a wonderful thing that this small film um, became such a huge sensation and everybody yeah. loves it so much. Like, I, I feel like that could have momentum all the way through. I think you're right. It feels very much like a movie of the moment, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. and, 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 and it's, but it's not just that. It's also really well made. So. And it's recognizing mm-hmm. like a, a filmmaker who's already kind of working on his next thing. We're kind of like excited to welcome him into the club. I think it, I mean, the, the Academy sure. is going to announce its new members, uh, the people who are being invited to be members today as we record this so it'll already be out tomorrow uh, when this episode releases I wouldn't be surprised if like Jordan Peele was invited to join the Academy after something like that you know he's a really exciting voice that you want to welcome yeah. with open arms and then Keegan-Michael Key is kicking rocks somewhere oh he's um, fine he's in Hamlet with <laughs> yeah. Oscar Isaac I mean that's 
He, no, he's great. Um, watch Playing House on USA. And, um, yeah, we, we don't often talk, I think, about, uh, digital effects contenders, but I feel like Okja could get in for mm-hmm. the amazing digital effects in that film, right? Yeah, and it's doing a different kind. It's not big battles. It's not spaceships. It's, it's, it's a kind of, there's one big special effect that's kind of integrated into the whole movie, which, um, is, I'm sure that the technicians in the academy would appreciate. Uh, now, also, I would hope that Salma Hayek could, we could do some sort of whisper campaign for her. I think the movie's maybe a little too small, maybe it came out the wrong time of year, but, um, she's, you know, I think I mentioned it when I talked about the movie out of Sundance, like, she's due, you know, she got that nomination for Frida almost 20 years ago, um, and she's been kind of on an upswing lately, and I think, I don't know, if, depending on how the rest of the actress race, uh, sorts out, she, she could, we, we shouldn't count her out. Well, should we uh, uh-huh. should we use this as an opportunity to talk about Okja, which uh, is the subject of the interview you did with Stephen Young, Richard? Yeah, sure. Uh, ha- happy to talk so about Okja. So this movie premiered at Cannes uh, under some level of controversy because it's a Netflix film and the uh, the Cannes, uh, they allowed it to play in competition, but then the French cinema owners kind of went crazy and they decided not to let any uh, Netflix releases play uh, in competition at Cannes in the future. Uh, but it's interesting because that mm-hmm. happened and then now it kind of feels like a tempest in a teapot because it's this uh, cool Bong Joon-ho movie that's opening on Netflix and I'm excited about it. And I, I don't know, is it the kind of movie that I'm going to regret seeing only on Netflix as opposed to on a big screen? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I think it definitely would, would do well on the big screen. And, and, and well, but if you do see it on the big screen, make sure that the framing of the projection is right because at the press screening <laughs> at Cannes, yeah. after everyone had booed the Netflix logo <laughs> and the movie started, the booing didn't stop. And I didn't know why for, and I turned to a colleague next to me and I said, what's going on? This is insane. Did they hate Netflix that much? And I didn't notice, but actually part of the, uh, part of the projection was sort of, uh, you know, it, it was basically that it wasn't sized the right way. And so that's what they were booing. And so then they stopped the whole thing. People cheered. Technicians were coming out and resizing the screen. Uh, you know, people were laughing. It was a whole to do. And it was exactly what Netflix didn't want to happen at this, at their big can <laughs> debut. Oh it wasn't the premiere, thankfully, but it was the you know, morning press greeting. Anyway, so that created a kind of extra air of controversy around the movie. But you're right, Katie. Then it, then it played in its full, in, in its entirety. And people People loved it. And it was like, oh, what, what, what a nice movie. And we, everyone kind of forgot about all the controversy. I think the special effect of Okja, which is this sort of super um, genetically modified pig, some pig, it, you probably will not be as blown away by it if you see it on the smaller screen. But if you see it on the big screen, this is, I consider Jurassic Park to be the gold standard on this. And this is like probably probably better than Jurassic Park. But it's, it's really incredible. A, how much personality they infuse into this pig. And B, just some of the interactions between the young girl who plays the lead character and this CGI creature, because I know, I know that there's like models involved and all sorts of things, but, um, there's a scene where she's sort of napping on the pig and the pig rolls around and she sort of rolls around to sort of rest from its back onto its belly. And the fact that this is all done on a thing that is not real is cr- I, my jaw was on the floor. I just thought it was an incredible and I am really, really hard on CG animation. So, um, yeah, I, I was really impressed by that. And that and it is essential for you to be along for the ride of this crazy film and all the things, all the, uh, mood, bumpy up and down mood tone changes that happen you really need to be invested in this young girl and her not pet pig and you need to believe that that is a real thing that you're watching and i i for one did so there you go 
Yeah, and you're right, Joanna. I mean, I, I kind of forgot about that exact scene, but you're right. It's very seamless and sort of intimate the way that they do the, the graphics. Um, you know, and I would, I would, and I think that uh, you know, in in a larger sense, the movie um, is is really hopeful. It's about really dark things. It's about you know, animal, you know, eating animals being kind of a you know perverse thing to do and all this kind of stuff but um uh but it ends on this kind of note of like well you know the fight is worth it so maybe see beatrice at dinner first and then see ocha <laughs> and have that be like oh, you, sure, you, yeah. you go from despair to like well you okay you know hashtag resist mm-hmm. you know i have to say that you know if you're on the fence about being a vegetarian this might be the movie that pushes you over the edge and i was i walked out of it sort of wondering if it was intended to be a i mean it's definitely intended to be a criticism of the sort of meat uh generating industry the meat industry that's the word i want but (laughs) i i don't i don't know if it's like really trying to get us all to be vegetarians but if it if it was like this is pretty effective and i you know marketing wise i think it's being marketing as a bit more of like a rollicking um warm-hearted adventure than it actually winds up being but if you saw snowpiercer uh you might be bracing already for horrors to come along with your you know sci-fi adventure so yeah he doesn't pull any punches when you actually when your your the movie brings you to con- actually confront like what these like slaughterhouses are like right yeah you know uh so I think it's more, it's less specifically about vegetarianism and, and it's more, more broadly about like compa- caring about things and being aware and, and sort of yeah. fighting for what you believe in in a compassionate sort of humanist way. Um, which like, hey, that's a great message. On, on the one right hand, now. yes, I completely agree with you. But on the other hand, it also, it's not just like taking aim at like GMO food and stuff like that, but also the myth of like, uh, if this food was raised organically on a farm, like it's, it's fine. You know, like it's, right. it seems to be sort of, attacking the whole thing from two sides you're right of course it is about a broader concept it's not specifically about this but i don't know i just i i see because tilda swinton is this sort of greenwashing like organic right she's 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 sort of like the face of uh the the friendly face of like organized slaughter right exactly she's putting this kind of like new sort of exciting shiny spin on it but at all the while just the role tilda swinton plays in my life generally (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly right. Can we talk yeah. briefly before before we get into Stephen Yeun, who I loved in this movie and was so happy to see him smile, which I haven't seen him do ever on The Walking Dead. Um, <laughs> can we talk briefly about what all the choices Jake Gyllenhaal is making in this film, Richard? Oh, yeah. Um, I would say that that is probably the part of the movie that works the least for me, is Gyllenhaal. And I don't blame him exactly. I think that Bong Joon-ho, you know, he has a sort of... He has a style of humor, let's say, that is a little, that's antic and it's kind of up and it's, and it can be big. And I think that because he's worked with Tilda Swinton before, you know, who's, she's probably the other biggest, you know, biggest name in the cast. Uh, she kind of got it and, and came, came in at the right level. Uh, Hall just kind of overshoots and it's, a, it's, a, but you know, that said, I was talking to, um, David Sims, a friend of the podcast, cr- film critic for The Atlantic, who loved Gyllenhaal in it. So mm-hmm. maybe it's it's a kind of mm-hmm. taste thing. But out of can, the word was like, great movie, Gyllenhaal, maybe not so much. I feel like this has happened for him a good bit lately. Like he kind of keeps going, uh, like taking really big swings that may or may not pay off. I specifically think of Prisoners, a movie a lot of people like more than I do. Um, but you know, I guess, well, I don't know. He does it. Does he do it in life too, Richard? No, he's pretty, he's pretty quiet in, in life. That That's a, that's a more, you know, downbeat performance. But, but you know, he's not 
bad. It's just a lot. No, it's a lot. My the guy I saw Okja with in the theater when he walked out, he's like, "Did did Jake Gyllenhaal just sort of power through a mountain of blow before he did that movie? Like that's <laughs> that's sort of the level he's at. I'm not I'm not uh, maligning Jake Gyllenhaal. I think that's just pure acting creativity. But it's a lot. It's a lot of choices. I'm he, and has, he has been going for that kind of hollow eyed manic thing. Yeah, yeah, a lot lately. Yeah, it works right. in like Nightcrawler. He's you know, so good at yeah. Nightcrawler. But yeah, um, I wonder if Maggie gave him notes afterward. <laughs> uh, so Richard, let's hear your conversation with Steven Yeun. Uh, what uh, what did you guys talk about? Uh, we talked about Okja. We talked about working with Bong Joon Ho. We talked about kind of the you know the sort of the the, the political messaging in the movie. Um, he's just a he came in you know we we spoke in person. Uh, he was wearing this fabulous long blue coat. Uh, just a really nice, smart guy um, who you know had a lot to say about you know this is a movie that's you know set in south korea it's by a korean director and he himself is a korean american so we had a lot to say about that which i thought was was interesting all right well let's hear your conversation with steven yun so i'm here with steven yun thanks steven for being here thank you uh now you're on this kind of crazy press tour for okja the bong joon ho mm-hmm. film that'll be on netflix later this month so I want to talk about a lot of things involving this movie, but first of all, uh, it was just at Cannes. Had you been to Cannes before? Um, I had not been to Cannes uh, Film Festival. Yeah. I had been to Cannes for something else, just to go. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this was my first time for there for the festival. So how did that feel with this big movie premiering? I mean, what was your experience like? It was awesome. You know, I think um, it's interesting in a lot of ways. I think it was really cool to kind of like have that be my f- first toe dip into that world i mean i'm in a film with some pretty amazing people and i'm so lucky in that way so yeah they were great too like they just kind of like helped me through the situation yeah uh ken is very very decadent mm-hmm. yes. yeah yeah is that the word over the top yeah. <laughs> yeah and i i one time my first year there i somehow scored a ticket to like the opening night and i didn't know that i was gonna be doing this but i ended up on that red carpet oh, and cool. i sort of scuttered you know I, nobody wanted to take my photo <laughs> but like i just imagine like when you actors are on that huge carpet with all the photographers it must feel i mean was there a sense of accomplishment or was it mostly just like like nerves and kind of overwhelming or? um it was you know i i feel like um the one thing that like my parents have taught me somehow maybe indirectly is like try to act like you've been there before sure yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but secretly inside you're like oh shit this is crazy right. um so yeah it was kind of that like i was trying to not lose my cool but also like really appreciate the moment and i think that was really fascinating to see like i didn't know i i've heard about that carpet i mm-hmm. guess and but I don't like actively think about that carpet. Yeah, right. <laughs> but to go on there, you're like, oh, I see. Like, I see the inherent like crazy prestige in a way about this, or the or the spectacle that it is. And um, it was cool. Yeah. yeah, it was really cool. Um, and you and the Okja cast seem to like really get along. Um, you were at our party, uh, yes. kind of late into the night dancing. Tilda yeah. seemed to be leading that, which was fun <laughs> to see. She's great. Um, so yeah, you seem like a really kind of bonded group of people. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, I think, um, uh, unfortunately I didn't get to work with Tilda or Jake that much. Right. Uh, actually, I didn't get to work with Jake at all. I got to work with Tilda for a couple scenes mm-hmm. and then, um, mostly it was the ALF, well, yeah, the, uh, Paul, Lily, Dan, uh, Devin. Yeah. And, uh, we bonded just because, you know, one, just all spectacular people, but also like, you know, we're kind of there in a foreign country 
doing it together. So uh, it only helped to kind of get closer. And luckily, we all just kind of hit it off. Yeah. And so, yeah, it was kind of an extension of that. And I think it's also an extension of director Bong and the people that he collects in that way to be a part of his film. He's, he he definitely brings together really great people. And uh, Tilda is one of those people that you just meet and you're like, how do you not like yeah. Tilda? You know, yeah, she's, she's the best. One of a kind. Yeah, kind of. she's the best. Um, so you mentioned ALF, which is Animal <clears throat> Liberation Front, right? Um, mm-hmm. So I, uh, so Okja is ostensibly an animal rights movie, mm-hmm. um, you know, about a young girl from Korea, I believe it is, or is there, or is it, or maybe it's never stated exactly. Yeah, she's it from is. Korea. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, who has this kind of genetically modified animal that she raises, and then he's going to go to slaughter, or she's mm-hmm. going to go to slaughter. Um, and you play one of these revolutionaries trying to free Okja. Mm-hmm. Um, so it has that political element to it in terms of the very specific issue. But something I love about the movie is that I think it speaks more broadly to mm-hmm. the times we're, li- we're living in. Was the kind of political <clears throat> climate of the United States, of the world, something that was in your mind when you guys were shooting? Or No, actually, um, you know, we were so far removed from that, like in a literal country. Yeah. And also we were, it was early June by that point. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, things were heating up for sure, but... Um, I don't even think we were at that stage of belief that what's has happened could have happened. <laughs> right. Right. Um, a more so, innocent time. Yeah. A more naive time. Yeah. Uh, and you know, it, it was, it, you know, the thing that about his film is that I think in the end, you can't help, but put a mirror up to it and put, also put the backdrop of the current times against it. But what's really great about director Bong is that I feel like, he never paints a picture of what he intends or wants things to be per se. Instead, he kind of just paints a picture of what is. And sometimes the colors he uses are a little bright, uh, to kind of convey a message of like these things that I've pinged stand out here, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and in that way, the film, I don't think had a necessarily any real intent, um, politically. You know, obviously it's coming from a single visionary mind that has his own ideas about how things are or what. But I think that's why he was so great about giving credence and time to every character in it in a way to say, like, here's a complicated versions of what you would think are heroes. And here's a complicated version of what you would think are villains. And here's the purity at the center of this, which is this little girl and her friendship with this animal. And I think that's where he started from, which was this bond between this girl and this animal. And then you can extrapolate so many other things on top of that. And um, one thing that like, I really love about director Bong is that I don't know if you, you know, like a lot of Murakami's art. Sure. Yeah. I mean, Murakami's Murakami. He's yeah. the, the best. But I had the pleasure of meeting him uh, <clears throat> just last year and going to his uh, uh, his huge studio space. And I talked to him briefly and kind of was just like watching him. And then it was so weird because I was as I was watching him, I was like, oh, my God, you might be like Dr. Bong. Like you might be the same person. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously they're not the same person, but. I feel like what they're able to do is kind of like do this super flat thing that, you know, Murakami has -hmm. coined and which is like they do high low, yeah, you know, Um, and I think that Okja is this great thing because it's high low. It's it's this seeming adventure movie about a young girl and her pig. 
And then when you watch it, you walk out and you're like, that is not what I thought that was going to be. And it blew my mind in ways that I didn't think it was going to be. And it also like skirted expectations in other ways that might have made me un- felt feel uncomfortable or unsatisfied, but it made me think. And so that's the cool part about this movie is that like when you're in it, you just kind of trust yourself to the process of a genius and you just say like, cool, like tell me how to not ruin your painting, you <laughs> right. know, um, and yeah. I'm down for whatever. Yeah. I remember leaving, uh, went to the press <clears throat> screening at Cannes and walking kind of down the crossette afterward and be like, that was fun. And then thinking about it for like two more minutes and all of a sudden I was like teary and I was like moved by it in this way. So yeah, you're right. He does kind of like, it sneaks up on you. Some yeah. of this sort of unexpected emotional. Yeah. Now, were you uh, a fan of his work before doing this? You'd seen his stuff and yeah. yeah. So yeah. how did you get involved in Oakshow? Was it just a standard audition process or? Um, I was, so fortunate to have met director bong about two years prior to the movie um just on some off coffee chance that i had with him in korea mm-hmm. when i was visiting and um he was gracious enough to come meet <laughs> me right. who care uh and he was really cool and um a year later he sent me an email out of the blue and he's like hey i have this role that i'm writing for you and i was like what like director bong is writing something with me in mind that blew my mind because you know to me like my favorite all of his films are wonderful my favorite film of his is memories of murder Mm -hmm. and that film is like if you have any aspirations for wanting to be a director you look at that film and you go like that's a masterpiece from a singular vision and um in that way like i kind of understood how he functions because, you know, he he's very detailed and, you know, you go and first day of the film, he'll hand you a book that is frame by frame what the movie's going to look like storyboarded uh-huh. already. And it feels like limitations to the naked eye, but it's actually like wonderful because it's a, he's actually just giving you like really stark parameters right. for you to kind of thrive in. And so, um, yeah, like... That's kind of how I was born. I think that's part of his process too, is he meets people and um, he doesn't go like, who did the audition the best? He's kind of like by feel and he casts really well. He's like, I know I can see you as this character. So I'm trusting you to play this character. Um, Yeah, there's a kind of an organic quality to the cast that he assembles. It feels like everyone's just kind of placed just so and like they, mm-hmm. they belong there, you know, mm-hmm. so it's a nice. So so he tells you he's writing the script um, and then eventually you read it, obviously. What were your kind of first reactions? Was it a total surprise? I mean, because it's kind of a wild tale um, and you're you're playing this kind of radical. Yeah, because like, you had visioned what, what he might be writing for you and then surprised by what um, he actually did. Yeah. You know, I actually had no idea what the film was going to be. Yeah. Um, and I had no idea what he was possibly thinking of me for. I mean, I would have played a tree and it. it's fine. Um, <laughs> yeah. but you know, when I read it, I was like, this is crazy. Like, I was like, this is so crazy. And I think off the page, you can really overlook some things about it. Not to say that the script was underwhelming by any means. It was more just like, you have to intrinsically trust that director Bong has his reins on every aspect of the film down to the visual storytelling. And so if you add that layer of trust into it, you're like, Oh my God, like he's starting from this framework and then he's just going to embellish on top of that. And I cannot wait to see what the final product looks like. And, um, 
and that's precisely it too is like director bong film at least in this instance seems like it comes together at the end where you know as you're in the process you can kind of like be like oh that's a cool shot or like oh that's a cool beat or that looks beautiful but you don't really fully see it until he's like assembled all the pieces and like really like touched the little things and the minutia that he really likes to adjust so um yeah when did you first see it was it before can or was it i actually saw it um in a private screening okay. prior uh where the cg hadn't been finished oh interesting and it was such a different experience yeah such a different experience and then when we got the final look into it we're like oh my god like that's not even close to what i thought it was going to be when i saw the first version right yeah. sure because yeah i mean there's yeah um, a lot of those kind of extra elements i'm sure yeah. huge yeah so now you told me before we started recording that um you're doing press here in new york and then you're going to go to south korea mm-hmm. um do you have any expectations i mean he, you know he's that's his home that's bong's home country and like yeah. do you have any expectations for how the film is going to be received there do you think it's going to be like a big phenomenon kind of thing or how- yeah you know i don't know i mean um I hope so. Yeah. I mean, Director Bong is obviously Director Bong, and yeah. he's that here, and he's that in spades over there. And so I think people know what to hope hope for. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they know what to expect, but they know what to hope for. And um, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, like, this is a true global movie, yeah. and I don't know many filmmakers that could have accomplished this in the same way. Um, could, could, could foreign directors accomplish American films? Sure. We've seen that a bunch of times and they're wonderful, but there is something to be said about him bridging literally two different cultures into one film, uh, with a singular vision. And I think that's very, very, very difficult, um, because a lot of things get lost in translation. Mm -hmm. And, um, and in that way, it was very fascinating to be at my vantage point because, you know, being Korean and being American, um, and then having to play a Korean American mm-hmm. that literally sits in the middle of that movie between the two cultures. It was very kind of like a interesting experiment and a almost a near cathartic experience for me of just like, yeah, like to be a immigrant kid going back to where he was originally from, but not where he necessarily identifies with is like a weird pocket tip to live in it's almost like you're on your own island because the home country that you were born of they don't understand you and you don't understand them and the home and the home country that you actually call home doesn't think you're part of that country right and so um yeah it was like that experience was nuts and it was and and in that way i really truly have no idea what korea is going to be like yeah, I mean, I think, you know, talking about how it, it does blend these two cultures together, there's a lot of talk right now about how um, a big studio movies are, you know, sort of a Transformers movie will sort of add a Chinese actor yeah. into the because, you know, the market's huge in China. Mm-hmm. And it feels it hasn't yet gotten to a point where mm-hmm. it feels organic and mm-hmm. like it's it's not just sort of like added in cynically mm-hmm. but this movie Okja really does feel that that lovely blend that yeah. that that it's like the movie couldn't be the movie without that blend you know yeah. so it feels essential to it rather than incidental and and tacked on well th- i think that's due to you know a dr bong's uh and and duho our wonderful producer on it like their insistence on 
casting a Korean American person because that's primarily the perspective that this character K is. Could they have gotten a Korean native that could speak English and tried to put him in this position? Sure. Mm-hmm. And um, hopefully he would be up to the task, uh, which I'm sure there's tons of people. But there's also a nuance to speaking bad Korean, but acting as if it's not, mm-hmm. you know, and um, also like knowing all the tropes and the and the archetypes of a culture, but not knowing the nuances of how to navigate that effectively is like something that's very unique to the immigrant experience of the Korean American. And, you know, you're right. Like we're at this point where, you know, in some ways the dollar signs show and that's where you get, you know, people just kind of like jammed into a movie because they're like, let's just make it so that they recognize someone in this film that is of their home country. But, you know, there's this greater conversation to be had of like, then what happens to Asian Americans, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and that's kind of the weird pocket that we live in too is like, it's not that, you know, you, you know, uh, if we're talking about any type of like oppressive situation, being a minority as an Asian American person, like we can go into detail about the subtleties of that. But like one major component is the fact that we're considered just, part of a collective like we're just considered part of like the borg and you can ask any of us and we'll say the same answer to you right which is why there's this pervading thought of like you guys all look alike because like i haven't taken the time to think like hey maybe you're like a literally a stark individual and Mm -hmm. that your look is like literally one sliver of who you are and so in that way i am really excited to see people see that journey of like the stark difference between a korean american and a korean native um but also like also see the similarities at the same time i just and that's the thing that i love about bong is i just hope that people will take the time to digest like every detail that he's put into this yeah i mean i know i can't wait to see it again because it is this kind of it's a it's a riot of both visuals and ideas and and you know you can't really absorb it all in one Mm -hmm. sitting Mm -hmm. so what um you're you know obviously uh perhaps at the moment best known for for t- television show the walking dead um you've done other films what are your thoughts on this whole netflix you know mm-hmm. day and date kind of thing i mean is that something that you that you as an actor care about like the distribution or is it more just getting the, the thing made and well i mean you know we're at an interesting time i think you know i don't think any single person on this planet is hoping that theaters disappear You know, like everybody loves the theater experience. If you don't, then you're just like a recluse or you hate people or you hate joy. (laughs) Um, And we all recognize that. And I think that's a real thing. Now, we're also at the precipice of like new technology. We're also at the brink of like the changeover of the new and old guard. And we're also at the point of like, you know, like as well-intentioned and as seemingly great for the start of stuff that capitalism brings, it also can ruin a lot of things. And it has classically, if anything, everything that it eventually touches. Mm -hmm. And I feel like we're also at a point where it feels like things have been ruined in that way. And this is the correct response to it. Uh, Like, you know, we're at a point where you go to the movie theater and, 
what happened to all those mid-level movies, those thrillers, those rom-coms, those beautiful things that we remember from our childhood? Yeah, that, we're about the same age, and I, you're just thinking about like those, like Hand that Rocks the Cradle, yeah, or, you know, or like The Game, yeah, or like sure, you know, yeah. like j- like beautiful movies yeah. that like we never get to see anymore, yeah, because there's too much fear that you won't get your return on your investment, mm-hmm. and then in that sense, you know, if you're gonna go to the movie theater with twenty bucks and you go, hey, do I want to watch this indie movie or do I want to watch Batman try to beat up Superman? Like you're like, well, we got one $20 bill. Let's go watch Batman beat up Superman because everybody's going to watch that. Right. And so it feels like less of a risk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And so you're in there spending that money and then the theaters go like, cool, like everybody just wants to see this. And then they go, cool, like let's make more of these. And then they go, cool, like that makes more money. And then it just keeps cycling itself. And then now we're at the point where like, there's a million Batman beating up Superman movies and nothing wrong with them, but like there's something wrong when that's the only thing that you can see at these theaters. Yeah. And, um, you know, you look at Okja and you look at how unique it is, how unexpected it is and how it's so never before seen before. Yeah. And that's only to do with the fact that like, you know, a studio such as Netflix said, here's your budget and we're also not going to tell you how to do your movie because we trust you. Right, really rare. So rare. Yeah. So what are we fighting for then? Are we fighting for the ability to go and watch a movie together or are we fighting for art being able to be made period yeah. in its unique in its entire uniqueness and then appreciating that. And then actually in that way being built on a platform where someone that would never get to see that typically or never go to the movies to pay for that gets to watch it because it pops up on their dash. So, I mean, I don't know, like, right? Like we're in this really weird gray area and I certainly hope that theaters stay. And I certainly hope that people get wise and say like, cool, let's keep making good movies because why not? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I remember at the, at the Cannes press conference, someone asked, uh, you guys, a similar question. And Tilda Swinton said, well, you know, the fact of the matter is, is that a lot of the great little movies that you see that that, that show it can, mm-hmm. no one ever sees. Yeah. And at least now, you know, Okja has this like, you know, it's going to be in millions of homes mm-hmm. and people, all people have to do is just press play. Mm-hmm. So I think that in that regard, I think it's exciting. Like, mm-hmm. I think like, thank, like, thank God that Netflix was there to fund this movie. And Absolutely. Know. And and like, you know, those little films that you do see at can, like how many of them have a giant CGI pig? Very how many, few. How many, yeah, and how yeah. many can afford to do that? Yeah. You know, these movies' budgets are like far less than what was able to be done with Okja. And that way, then you're able to build the spectacle of what you want out of the theater, which, you know, like, yes, do I want people to see this in the theater? Of course. Yeah. Like, that's great. But we're also at this weird changing of the guard time. So let's figure it out. Right. Like, let's figure out the happy medium that eventually, hopefully, we'll get to. Or everyone should just have a rich friend who has some elaborate screening room yeah. in their mansion. Or virtual yeah. reality. Oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, that, this would be an intense VR movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so I mentioned Walking Dead, and I wanted to ask you about that a little bit. Um, I you know we've been asked about it to death, but um, I'm just curious because you know you've you're in this movie that was a big splash at Cannes. It's going to be on Netflix. It's a you know it's a it's a big movie. It's a, mm-hmm. it's a nice place to land after leaving this you know m- mm-hmm. mega hit mm-hmm. show. Mm-hmm. How do you leave a show like that? Like how, what is like, I mean, was there a lot of planning involved or was it just like, all right, I'm going to do this. I'm done. And then you're just kind of open to new experience or do you have like something mapped out? Um, I wouldn't say I have anything mapped out. I would say, you know, 
you know, there's obviously, you know, you can, you can choose to get into a lot of strategy stuff sure. if you want to. I think for me, like the thing, like I, I, I can overthink things. I'm a type of overthinker. Um, but ultimately where I land in on the end is gut. And, um, you know, the gut was, it's like, you know, it was going to happen anyway, but it felt appropriate to leave you know it felt appropriately to be done and i won't even i don't even want to say leave like it wasn't like hey guys i'm done so kill me off it's like this is what's happening and i would have gladly stayed as well but it was also just like the universe scott gimple being in tune and being like cool like it is now time to change this aspect of the show and it's time in that same way for steven to go move on to something else Mm -hmm. and um, I welcome that as much as I was sad about it too. You know, it's, you can't help but be sad to leave such a tight knit family and like they're wonderful people to work with. And so if someone said like, this is what you're going to do forever, like, okay, that's fine. Like you love clucking into work. That's great. I'm yeah. down. Um, but you know, I leaving the show, it was beautiful in the sense that it felt like I completed a puzzle you know, and you felt this sense of accomplishment from it. And then afterwards you kind of just reassess and you go, cool. Like this show has afforded me the ability to take a pause and try to live life too. And try to maybe go back and like really understand who you might be and what you want to say, um, in this world. And Mm -hmm. in that way, that's kind of what I did was I just kind of took a step back and I reassessed and, said no to things or said yes to things and um in that way like don't want to get like super gratuitous about it but like soul search right you you have a little soul searching but well it's such an intense experience especially because you're 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 not in where you live you're in you're in georgia you know you're with this group of people for year after year i mean i would just imagine like you don't have a lot of time for that soul searching when you're on set Yeah. yeah 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 i mean like you know you also get to a place where you're like yeah like at some point, I've absolved a lot of my own personal decisions to whatever the collective of our show is going right. to think, you know? And in that way, there's a comfort of not being able to, like, not having every single thing you choose be directly what you chose. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when you're booted out in that way, like, I don't want to say booted out, but when you're, like, released in that way, like, you... You were batted out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was batted out, exactly. <laughs> um, when you're batted out in that way, like you're then like left in this void of like, oh my God, like I am responsible for every decision that I make. And the way that people miss the military, you know, when they, when they, because it's like that that order. So regimented. Right. And so then you, then you go like, cool, like now I have some, a beat and some time and I'd like to take a step back. And luckily, you know, something like Okja is a no brainer to be a part of. Um, but, I didn't, I didn't, I never really took that as like my next move. I just took sure. that as like, why would you not work with director Bong? Yeah. That's I mean, no brainer. That is a no brainer. Yeah. Uh, so it really happened after that. Yeah. After the experience of the film, the film was kind of this nice therapeutic release from having really harsh post show blues, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was nice to like go and like put my head into something else. And then after that came back And a lot of life happened. And then um, now I'm just kind of at that place of like, cool, like, let's really dig deep and see what I 
want to accomplish. Is there anything in particular that you that you're like hungry to do? I mean, like, would you jump back into another series, or is that too much of a commitment? You'd rather you know do the shorter stint of a film, or um, you know, I think like everybody is like, oh, I'm done with TV. I'll do films right. now. You know, um, but. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm open to anything. Yeah. Um, I think the one thing though that I have realized is like, we're at a beautiful time where, and I'm at a beautiful moment where there's nothing that is forcing me anywhere. And so all I have is the ability to kind of like look inward and say like, cool, what do I personally want to express? Whether it comes down to me creating it or me writing it or me being in it, whatever it is, um, I'm open to exploring that. And then in the meantime, in other projects, like if something comes through the pipeline that seems like that's something that I like to be a part of to say as a group, then I'm totally into that too. So, um, yeah, uh, uh, right now, like I'm having fun with the family too. Sure. Yeah. yeah, of course. And your your radical animal rights activism, obviously. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, Stephen, congrats on the film. Thanks. It's th- thanks for coming in. Um, I really hope you know people are going to watch this, and they should. It. Cool. I, I said, I think I tweeted about it that like the end, the, the movie feels in some ways like a benediction. Like like it's just kind of this blessing from from Bong Joon Ho to us being like awesome. things might be okay even though some things are bad. So <laughs> yeah. thank you for being a part of it and talking thanks. to us today. Awesome. Thanks so much. Thanks. That does it for this week's Little Gold Men. Thanks for listening. And as always, you can find us, rate us, and review us on Apple Podcasts. We really appreciate it. You can also find us all at VanityFair.com, where uh, we're still talking about Emmy stuff. Uh, the Emmy voting season has ended, but the nominations are right around the corner. So you can find all of the really interesting interviews that we all did talking about uh, some of our favorite television and the actors in them. Uh, you can find us all on Twitter at Little Gold Men. And on our own, I'm at Katie Rich. Joanna? Joe wrote this. Richard? Rylaws. And Mike. Tilda Swinton. No, sorry. <laughs> Mike underscore Hogan. God, Tilda Swinton on Twitter would be such a gift to all of us. This episode was edited and produced by Jordan Bell, and thanks to Andy Bowers at Panoply. And this week's award for the best summation of Vanity Fair's Serena Williams cover on newsstands now or available at VanityFair.com goes to Joanna Robinson. She's just, she's fabulous. Everything she does is just fabulous. I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go. There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. But on Wildcard, we have ripped up the typical script. It's a new podcast from NPR where I invite actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to talk about some of life's biggest questions. Listen to Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts. Only from NPR.